It's summer at OSC. Uh, it's going to be that for a little longer. I'm talking about hope, hoping again today. Restoring hope. Hope is critical in a Christian's walk because hope provides a foundation for faith to operate on. If hope disappears, you struggle in your faith life. Hope is like a foundation. Hope is an anchor, the Bible calls it. Um, faith is something that I use in the moment, but hope is truly something that anchors me in the future that God has for us. And so hope is extremely important, and, but they're different. Faith and hope are different. Um, and they're not the same thing. Hope is more futuristic. It's more uh, relied on the overall picture and plan and purpose of God, whereas faith is more a response in the now based on that hope. And so you see, if that hope is missing, then faith in the now is very difficult because often we have to do things that we don't fully understand now um, because of our, you know, the response, the obedience that God asks for us to just walk with Him. And if we don't have that perspective, that foundation that God is ultimately going to let things work out for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, it's difficult to obey when you don't see what is really going to happen, you know, further down, further down the line. And so I want to... I want to speak about hope, hoping again, and some of the things that steal our hope or our ability to hope. And uh, hopefully throughout today, um, I'll be able to restore a little bit of hope in our hearts, but also help us to uh, eliminate the, the hopes, hope thieves um, that come to steal hope from us. And so join me in Jeremiah 29, verse 13 to one, 11 to 13 for now. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Think about that right now, where the future is somewhat shady. <laughs> it feels like, man, things are really not going in a good direction. But God says, I know the plans that I have for you, and it's plans to give you hope and a future. That's good news. Then you will call on me, he says, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So the context of this verse is God giving the Israelites who were at this point in time taken away from their country and they're in bondage instructions on how to live while they are under rule of a government that does not honor God. Incredible, right? Instruction how to live while you're not living in a country that is governed by your king, which is God. So your country's rules are not being determined by scripture, by biblical principle, by the ultimate authority of heaven and earth. It's being determined by an, a pseudo-authority, uh, almost illegitimate authority, yet a authority that is in place over your life. How do you live in those moments? And God gave them instructions. And then he says to them, actually, don't seek to escape this. Seek me in the midst of this. Don't seek to run away from this. I am going to prosper you within this if, if you follow the way I designed for you to live right now. And it's incredible in this time when Jeremiah was alive, there were other prophets that spoke the same things um, about this, this exact time where they were in, um, in, in exile. And in fact, it's also the same time that uh, Daniel and his friends were living in exile. And so they were contemporaries. And so when you see Daniel's response in how Daniel lived and how his friends lived under the rule of those emperors that they live under, you understand why they weren't trying to lead a revolution from inside the court. I always wondered, Daniel had all the best of the best resources, access, knowledge. You know, he could have killed the king at probably a hundred, you know, moments. Why didn't he? 
Why didn't Daniel and his friend lead a revolution inside the palace? Why did they serve that king? Well, here it is. God sent a letter, and the beginning of Jeremiah says, let this letter be read to those in exile as well. Who were they? Daniel and his friends. <laughs> they were obeying God by not leading a revolution in the palace, but serving that king and setting up Israel for a season of learning and going through a, a time of, of, of understanding and growing where before he would lead them back into the plans he had for them. It's interesting how these things correlates and if you if you if you see how they played how they listened to the prophets speaking and by the way there were other prophets during that time saying hey let's let's start a a war against these people and every single time they would they would be defeated because God was not in it but God's prophet Jeremiah spoke to them a word saying don't do this right now lead a life that is profitable if you the if, if it even says that if your city if Babylon prospers you will prosper so let's think about our situation right now. How do we serve our environment and help it to prosper so that God's prospering can come to us as well? And then in that context, he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Me telling you to stay and work for the benefit of this place is not me punishing you. It's me setting you up for the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope. And to give you a future. Now those who didn't listen to this word, did they get a future? No, they did. They died. They didn't get a future. God was setting them up to guide them through this moment. Even though this moment was a consequence of their own working. I'm going to talk about that dynamic today. Sometimes when we go through things, we think like, well, you know, God is in control of everything. And mm, I'm wondering about that. I want, to, I, want to, I want to ask that question today. Is he really? Is he really? How much of what is happening is caused by our own disobedience? And how much is God's direct doing? But yet in this moment, even though Israel is facing an incredible consequence, being, 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 being led away by a country, an enemy, God is still there guiding them how to come through this moment, how to work yourself out of this consequence that you have gained upon yourself. Listen to the statement. The, to believe in the goodness of God actually undergirds all of our experience of the kingdom of God. It is the foundation of our experience of God. To understand that God is good, no matter what the circumstance, is sets you up to correctly interpret all the rest of Scripture. If you start doubting God's character, you have now received a view, a, a, a impediment, impediment in your view of Scripture, the rest of Scripture, that will cause you to look at it and see wrong, see wrong, interpret wrong. We have to fundamentally keep our belief in the goodness of God for, uh, to enable us and set us up to see what He is doing correctly and respond by faith in the moment even though we can't see what's happening or understand what's happening. Listen to what Psalm 31 verse 19 says. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. God has an incredible store of, uh, of, 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 of goodness that he wants to lavish on us. But it, it has some, it has some um, uh, conditions here for those who fear him. It's not just for anybody. It's for those who come to Him for protection, not those who try and protect themselves. And we're going to touch on that in a little bit as well. So remember this point, those who try and protect themselves. Psalm 27, verse 13 says, Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. So much of Christian uh, thought and preaching is about the one day, you know, the great by and by. <laughs> everything will be sorted when Jesus returns. So come, Jesus, come. And I'm not denying the, the call for Jesus to come, for sure. But I'm not waiting either for the goodness of God to hit me. <laughs> then only. I'm expecting to see God's goodness manifest in my life right now, right here, in the midst of 
a situation, a scenario, an environment that is not friendly toward my, my faith, that is hostile toward my values, my, 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 uh, you know, my principles, because I can seek him. And the Bible says, if I seek him, I will find him. If I seek him with all my heart. But am I seeking him in truth? I believe if we believe in the goodness of God, we'll be able to trust his word, have hope for the future, have patience in trials, intimacy in waiting, joy in tribulation, peace in turmoil, resilience in testing, healing in trauma, acceptance in discipline, contentment in lack and abundance, and generosity in lack and abundance. And we can feel, even though we've become, have been made numb to our environment, start feeling again. Feel. Some of us have become so, so meh. You know that expression? The meh. <laughs> the little icon that the kids run with these days. How do you feel? Meh. No feeling. I don't have hope. I don't have despair. I'm just, eh. God wants us to experience his joy and his peace. It's the kingdom of God. The way we live in the kingdom of God is experiencing fullness of joy, complete peace. And I believe if you believe in the goodness of God, it sets you up to be able to experience that fullness of him. Now, if you're struggling to believe in the goodness of God, right, if there's doubt in your mind about it, it's because you've, you've come into agreement with the same lie that Eve and Adam went for when they doubted the goodness of God and went and started eating of the fruit. Okay, Satan said to them, look, God's holding something back from you. But if you eat this fruit, you can get it. Instead of believing that God would never hold anything good back from us, they doubted God and they tried to obtain what so-called was withheld. Naturally, that led to the greatest, you know, um, mess <laughs> in the history of mankind. Um, but what they did was it caused, what, what had happened was it caused them to see God in a different light. The minute they came into agreement with an opinion about God or opinion about God's doings that was contrary to what it in truth was, they started seeing God in a different light. And because they started seeing God in a different light, they started seeing everything else in a different light. Let me tell you, when you see God in a different light, all of a sudden the whole perspective on the world starts changing. And it's very, very important to know that somewhere in Psalms it says that it's in God's light that we see light. It's otherwise God is truth, and as we behold truth, we see in truth. We see with truth. We see from truth. We interpret what is happening to us in truth. And if we walk in truth, we can walk in life. But if we don't, we start making decisions and things that works to the absolute contrary. So God wants us to see him in the same light as scripture projects him. But sometimes our reality projects a different light on God, right? And so we start seeing God from the perspective of our experiences. Well, how can God be good if I'm going through what I'm going through? You know, they did this to me. How can God be good? I went through this and this experience. Why did that, my, you know, I feel like, um, you know, God took my parents away or God took a child from me. I feel like, you know, there is so much poverty and there's so much like heartache and hurt in the world how can a, there be a good God you know what? I'm just not feeling him it's like he doesn't care about me how can God be good but he lets me feel far away from him here's what I want to tell you today that evil and suffering in the world doesn't disprove the goodness of God it simply proves the absence of God from our lives it doesn't disprove his goodness. It actually just proves that he's not present in our, in our lives. And I'm not talking about us as individuals. I'm talking about us as the world. But sometimes also individually. And here's a, a big statement. And I know the ramifications of this statement. And I'll discuss it a little bit with you and say, tell you why this is my position on this. Just because God is sovereignly in charge of this world doesn't mean that he is 
in control of every little decision that we make. I think this is such a fundamental theological understanding that we in the religious self misunderstand rampantly. And because that, we lay blame at God's feet for things that are never for Him to be blamed for. And it causes us to not take responsibility of things that are completely ours to deal with. And here's where this, here's my theological foundation where this comes from. Genesis 1 verse 27, it's not on the board, but I need to say this. In Genesis, God makes an agreement with the Godhead himself. He says, let us make man in our image. Now that's a huge thing. We have to understand what it means when God made man in his image. Because if we're made in his image, it has, it has certain truths and realities that we need to consider. Number one being that God has authority. God has authority over himself. He chooses what he wants and when he wants it. Now, if we're made in his image, that means that we too have that authority over ourselves. I choose what I want and when I want it. And guess what? God made me with that authority. He wanted me to have that authority for a very specific reason. I'll tell you why now. But because I have that authority, I can make decisions about my own life, for good or for bad. It's just a fact. And so if I want to go against God's plan, I can. God never wants any human being to go against his plan. So let me tell you, if God is in full control of everything, how come he is not stopping that? Here's the reason why. For God to have authentic relationship with man, he has to allow us to come to the decision to submit ourselves unto him. If I program this computer to tell me every morning I wake up, good morning, gorgeous. Hello, handsome. For a little bit, it'll be a bit of a novelty, right? Then after all, I'm just going to get shut up. <laughs> Let me program this thing different. I, this is stupid. And a thing that is controlled and program does not authentically communicate to me something novel from its own creation, from its own existence. It's merely echoing what I told it to do. If I say, I love you, God, and I never really had the opportunity to say, I don't love you, God, that I love you means nothing, nada. God desired authentic relationship with man. And in order for you to have authentic relationship with the loved one next to you, they have to have the opportunity to say no to that at first. God had to make us in his image like for like so that we can connect with him so that he can actually experience the, 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 the love that, we, that we, 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 we give toward him. So he gave us agency. He gave us authority over ourselves. But here's the thing. You can decide to reject God and walk away from him. And he will let you. Not because he wants you to reject him. And that's the fundamental thing that I have a problem with, with the way we view the supremacy. No, not the supremacy. The, um, what's that word? The um, sovereignty of God. When people reject God, we say, oh, it must mean that, you know, that's what God wanted. That is such a contradiction in terms. God never wants that. And he emphatically states it in his word that that is not what he, what he wants. So how then, if he's in full control of everything, can he also be the one that says, okay, you, you and I, we're not going to be good. You, we're good. You, I'm going to allow to reject me and go to hell. You, you know... There is just, there's just a, a logical fallacy there that I don't think we understand correctly. And so what I'm suggesting is that God has a specific design and his design allows for different outcomes. But then there is a desire. God's desire only points to one outcome. 
And that is the outcome of relationship and salvation for every single human being. That says to me that he is a sovereign God. Now, now, now let, me, let me build it out a little further. You would say that a God that has full control over everything is pretty strong and powerful. Seven and a half billion people on planet Earth, more or less, which means there are seven and a half billion individual wills on Earth. You have your will, I have my will. You wanted to be here today. Nobody made you unless you're under 18. Um, you might be here because you were told to come, but I'm glad you are here. Come on, guys. I'm going to say something to you all in a second. And once you come to the point of 18, something shifts in that will and the enactment of that will. All of a sudden, it doesn't always go the way the parents want. In fact, it probably happens a little time sooner also, right? But there are, this is still happening. If God is in control of the final outcome of everything, and you tell me that therefore he is in control of every decision that 7.5 billion people make every single day. He has full control about who's going to make a next accident on this road in front of the thing, whose car is going to be broken into. I would say, man, that is a pretty powerful God. All that control... I want to submit to you a new thought. What about a God that does not control all those individual wills and yet is still able to determine the final outcome of everything? Now that is a God that can navigate all that complexity and still not be thrown off where he's leading all of this to. But you know what that also means? That means that there are some who is going to choose to be excluded from God's final outcome. It just does. And here's what it means for us. It means that our decisions matter. So if you're a young person here and you think that, man, your decisions don't matter because, you know, what, God is in control of everything, isn't he? Hold on now. Watch out. Because God is in control of the final outcome. But whether you're going to be included in that, that's entirely up to you. That's your decision to make. That's your path to walk. And you can choose to reject it. But if you do, do know what you are choosing. Because it's not God's fault that whatever happens or comes next happens. No, it's not. And so... I want to say that there, there are three reasons why there are evil and suffering in the world. And this, this is going to be very quick. And, um, but, but where does it all come from then? So if, 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 if good, bad things do happen to good people, how? Why? And I'll submit these three reasons to you. One, that there is a devil. He is a real spiritual being and he is working actively for the destruction of the church. If he can't get you to reject God, he's going to get you, he's going to try and get you to reject obedience to God. He's actively working against you and he's trying to cause you harm. He's trying to hurt you. And to the point that you listen and submit to his advice, you give him authority to lead you along that path of destruction, turmoil. Anxiety, depression. And so you have to realize that there is a real enemy. And if I ignore him or if I just, if I just, am, no, no, if I'm ignorant of him, he'll take advantage of that ignorance. He will. He will. Ignorance is not bliss in this, in this situation. We have to be aware of his devices, the Bible says. The second reason why there are evil and suffering in the world is simply because we live in a broken world. This world does not fully operate according to God's design anymore. If you want to know what the world operated like before sin, 
Go to the Garden of Eden and read Genesis, how things were at at that time, and go to the picture that he predicts or that he presents to us will be when he returns again. Those two pictures give you color in the picture of what it's going to look like when God's perfect will is enacted on earth. In between, there's a lot of mess and a lot of brokenness and a lot of things that are happening, not because he wanted it, but because it broke. This place broke. And something that's broken throws things off. It hurts things. It doesn't work. It frustrates us, right? It causes heartache. And here's the thing is in the midst of all this, people choose to disobey God. And that has consequences. Sometimes not even for yourself. If I choose to disobey God, it might negatively affect you. Yes. Was that God in his sovereignty doing something bad to you to somehow give you some positive teaching out of it? No. That is simply the fact that people does not obey God and now have caused you harm or heartache. This place is broken. Our genetics aren't operating according to God's perfect design anymore. It's just not. It's diluted, it's broken, it's, it's, it, it, it expresses in weird ways. Somebody gets born with a, with, a, with a defect, and we go, well, that must be God's plan. No, it's not God's plan. Will God make something good about it if we allow him? Absolutely. But does God decide that that child should be born with that? No. That's the broken world that is expressing brokenness. You want to know what God's will was? Go look at Eden and go look at Revelation. That is how God designed and what he desired. In between, we're going to see a whole lot of different picture. And we can't blame God for that. We have to understand that it's not, there's like, we ask, why did this happen? Because the world is broken. Things are going to malfunction here. Why is there hatred? Because the world is broken and people sin. Not because God hates some people and others he likes. No. And then there's not even sin. Then there's just mistakes. He forgot to put his blinker on. Just a mistake. Like I, my first crash here in the United States, where a guy, a guy, um, uh, 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 he was in the right lane, and he wanted to make a U-turn, and so he didn't look. <laughs> he just went for it over the left lane that I was driving in, trying to get past the you know the turn lane into the opposite direction lane. He just went for it. <laughs> Mistake caused me a whole lot of frustration and issues because God was trying to whatever. No, maybe God was trying to get me to slow down. No, 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 no. I wasn't speeding, by the way. I wasn't. I was actually slowing down because I'd, I'd just come to a, a light and I was slowing down and then it turned green and I saw I started picking back up again. So I was just on my way back up back out God why did this happen to me bruh you're asking the wrong person it wasn't me go ask that guy what he did he did it but how can he aren't you in control of everything that happens on earth no (laughs) I'm not in control of every decision that I that free agents have on earth i do control the final outcome here let me help you fix that i've provided for you already i've lined up the people that's going to help you get past this thank you lord but what does this do that helps us gives this helps gives us a good a right perspective about when things go wrong what do we do or when we have decisions to make that we don't just case it all, say, oh, whatever will be, will be kind of life. No. We have to take responsibility of our decisions because your decisions determines literally where you end up in life. It does. 
And it has nothing to do with whether God wanted you to end up there or not. God wanted to bless you and he wants you to prosper. But if you decide to do all sorts of things that's going to go against that. All right, so when we fail to realize that God doesn't control every last activity we'll, uh, you know, on earth, um, we won't understand what is our responsibility to take. And also it makes it difficult for us to trust God. Right? Because if he's the one causing this, how can I even be praying against this? Well, God gave me this cancer. Well, then why the heck are you praying? What are you praying for? For him to take it away now? He already decided to give it to you. You see how sometimes we don't make sense? And you know what? People that have struggled, time, difficult, to, difficult time believing in God, they see these logical fallacies that we just go through life with and they ask well, well why the heck do you believe that well you know i don't know uh, this is where i was taught no 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 no. we need to do a better job at understanding what the bible truly says about these matters so that we right correctly deter, uh, discern the sovereignty of god but we also correctly discern the responsibility of man and there's an interplay between those two things that will never go away, that we cannot spiritualize away or religionize away. They have to make sense. God is not an illogical God. He's a logical God. He works within the logical universe that he created. This will allow us to fully trust God because when he's only good, doesn't matter how much bad goes on or happens, my interpretation thereof will always be hope-filled. No matter the fact that this happened, God will still, at the end of the day, is an approach and conclusion that I can run with. Okay? So, some of y'all might be going like, yeah, 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 we believe God is good. But my question is not, do you believe God is good some of the time? I believe, do you believe God is good all of the time? Because, you know, we have lots of Eastern philosophies these days that people like. And um, one that's come a long way, a long time already is the whole yin-yang principle. You know, those two little fish, one with a black eye, one with a white eye. White fish with a black eye, black fish with a white eye. I just blew some of you off minds. You never thought, knew that those were fish, right? The little circle thing. They're actually koi fish. <laughs> it's a Japanese thing. Um, what they really mean is that, you know, everything good contains a little bit of evil. And everything evil always contains a little good. That's not a Christian philosophy, y'all. Okay, reject that. God is only good. There's no little bit of evil in God. God is good. He's holy. He's perfection. And evil is just evil. So don't be all oh, the poor devil. No. <laughs> Almost said it's the dang devil, man. It's, uh, no, God is 100% perfect. He's good. But sometimes we try to interpret life from this perspective that God also causes bad things to happen. So we'll say, sometimes after the fact, after a couple of years, you know, our business failed, and, but we, you know, started a new thing and suddenly that thing took off and good. And now we go and we interpret back life. And we go, you know what? God made that business fail so that I can get into this one. And I just want to let you know that reasoning like that actually hurts you more than what you're thinking, that you th that, then it helps. God did not make that business fail. You made that business fail. But then you learned from it. And the next round, you were more obedient and more sensitive to his leadership. And you were probably more humble to listen to just normal wisdom. And now you've made a success. What does that mean? It actually means that you were immature and now you've grown But to admit that I made that business fail means that I made mistakes and I have to take responsibility. So no, no, no. I believe God made that business fail so I don't have to look bad. Come on, guys. We have to stop reasoning like that. God made me lose my job so that I can find this one. No. Your disrespect or your bad performance made you lose your job, but now you grew and you found a new job and you learned from your mistakes and now you're a better employee. If we incorrectly discern the sovereignty of God, 
we will incorrectly discern the responsibility of man to take good decisions and grow. I like to encourage Christians to grow up. I think we're way too immature for the amount of time we spend in church. And we start saying weird things like, no, 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 I think God made that marriage fail so I can meet you. (laughs) Y'all, God don't make marriages fail. It's fundamentally against his character. You made that marriage fail. And God was gracious to you to give you another go. Take responsibility to make this one work. Here's the fact. God is good all of the time. Okay, he's good all of the time. I am not good all of the time. I do stupid things. But here's the blessing and the grace and the mercy of God is that even if I mess up, (laughs) if I step forward in faith and hope in Him, He lines me right back up with the next opportunity to succeed in Him. But you know what? I can go through life with perpetual failures and, and disappointments if I don't learn, if I don't grow. And so... Let's not lay the wrong, the, the, the things that are that is ours to take care of at the feet of God and try to exempt ourselves from all things that went wrong. Let's take responsibility for where we're at and start living and growing for Him with the perspective of His goodness in mind. It doesn't matter how bad things go, it can go well again. Like for instance, Joseph who was sold by his brothers. Did God want Joseph to be sold to slavery? No, God could have made a hundred other ways for Joseph to rise to prominence in Egypt. He wasn't limited to people's sin to get his way. Hear me out. He did not need his brothers to be mad with him and sell him into slavery for him to become a ruler in Egypt. He did not need that. That's just the way it happened. That's the way God controlled the outcome regardless of people's sin. They almost killed him. They didn't. They sold him into slavery. Not something that God condoned. Daniel. He was condemned because he was praying to God. God yet again controlled the final outcome. Despite people's sin against his servants. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown in fire. Think God wanted his servants to prematurely experience hell? No. That was not God's desire, but he designed mankind to do such things to one another. And then there's so many other examples in scripture that if you understand this, you start seeing that, oh, this is not necessarily a principle for how it should have happened. It simply is the story of how it happened. This does not lay down a a, 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 a right or wrong that for me to rise to prominence, something bad has to happen to me. No, it's not prince. It doesn't lay down a precept. It just tells the story and it glorifies God that was still able to let the dream that he gave Joseph come to pass despite the fact that his brothers literally sold him to a life of just slavery and insignificance. It speaks of the greatness of God more so than when he had to use these devious kind of methods to make his plans come to pass. No, God does not need your sin for other good things to happen. God does not need your suffering for good things to happen. He does not need that. But on earth, we will experience that. Why? Because there's a devil. Because this world is broken. Because people disobey God. But despite all those things, if you will continue to seek him, you will continue to find him. If you seek him with all your heart and you will, what will you find? You will find the hope that he has for you, the future that he has for you, despite the place where you live in, the conditions under which you live. 
Noah was ridiculed for a hundred years for building something that the world had never seen for a circumstance the world had never experienced. Up till the ark started, they entered the ark, it hadn't rained on the earth. Well, guys, this place is just going to completely rain full of, it's going to what? Rain. What's that? There was no concept. Maybe water that was in a dam, yeah, sure. But there was no rain on the earth yet. In obedience, he did it. Was he, uh, did he have a fan club? Not at all. <laughs> he had the opposite. But guess what? His obedience, despite people's responses and sin to, against him, his response determined his destiny and his family's. Same for us. Sometimes, sometimes God asks us to do something and it leads to a trial. Let me tell you this. When Mary said yes to the Holy Spirit to cause her to become pregnant, she knew very well that people were going to think she was an adulterer. She knew it. She knew people would see her as a sinner. Becoming pregnant without being even married to Joseph. She knew that. Sometimes God asks us to do something that's not sin. Remember, he won't ask you to sin. So don't even go there. And yet when you do that, when you obey that, it leads to hardship. It leads, why? Because we're doing it in a world that's hostile to God. But let me say this to you. In a moment like that, when you experience hardship or trial because of a direct obedience to God, that is a test. God does not test us with bringing um, things on our lives just for the heck of it. No, it's only when you're acting in obedience to God. And that leads directly to persecution. That that becomes a test that's from God. For if you continue faithfully and obey, on the other side of that lies an incredible breakthrough, lies a sharing with His glory, lies promotion, lies a growth, a, a breakthrough that you've been, you've been desiring to have. So sometimes people go, oh, I'm just being tested by God. Well, why? Because I feel tempted around every corner. Nope. God does not tempt to sin. God does not ask you to sin. God does not give you a solution through sin. I just need to get out of the situation. I need to divorce my wife. Nope. It's not how he works. <laughs> it's not God. That's the enemy trying to teach you, you know, guide you down, down, down the bad path. If we believe in the goodness of God, even if we experience persecution, hardship as a result of his direction, we will still be faithful because we know at the end of the day. These individuals, Daniel and Joseph and Mary and Moses, they fundamentally knew that at the end of the day, the goodness of God is going to come through for me. At the end of the day, the goodness of God is going to be restored to me. And some even said, even if it doesn't, I'm not going to go back on my opinion of God. I'm not going to change my perspective of the character of God to make my circumstances more comfortable and look more, you know, make more sense to me. I'll rather live in the tension and the discomfort of the year than try and rip something beautiful out of God and blame Him for it. They knew God was good. So I want to share with you as, 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 I, as I come to the second part of the message, the, the one thing that I believe that steals the, us, our, our ability to hope the most as Christians, okay? And it's this word here, it's called cynicism. Cynicism. What is cynicism? Cynicism is something, an attitude, a perspective about life and things that creates a numbness towards the possibilities of life. So that we start adjusting our behavior to fit that low expectation. So I'm not going to try things anymore. Why? Because I'm actually 
just, you know, yeah, I'm hoping for the best, but I'm expecting the worst. And here's where that self-preservation starts coming in. We think we can protect ourselves by these dumb sayings, hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. We think they're wisdom, they're not. You become skeptical of everything. Every opportunity looks like a way to just hurt you. You start looking for the, for the, 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 the gray cloud in between the silver linings. <laughs> Become critical of everything hopeful, everything beautiful, everything loving. And it actually just paralyzes us from trying anything new or trying anything significant. Cynicism automatically leads to skepticism and that to bitterness, frustration, and eventually we're just unfruitful as Christians. We don't even try anymore. We don't even try pray about things. We don't even try help people. We don't even try be good. We don't even try speak hope. We don't even try anymore. We become completely unfruitful in our Christian walk. And we don't know it, but it's actually because it started with just being cynical about things around us. Some person says it's like, like we, we build up scar tissue. I don't know you know about scar tissue, but scar tissue is not the tissue that originally where the wound is from. In other words, it's actually not, it's actually not the right tissue, but it, it, it binds the wound and it cleans and it heals the wound, but it doesn't restore full functionality. And so the medical guys will tell you scar tissue, you actually have to break it down. That initial healing part, you actually have to remove, you have to try to work it out so that the full function of that joint might return and the full strength might come to it again. But cynicism, we think, uh, protects us. It's like, and maybe here and there, you know, it causes you to not, you know, get hurt again in the same spot. But actually, if you don't work that away, you won't be strong. You won't be as strong as you can be. Here's the massive thing about cynicism. It destroys intimacy. It destroys intimacy. Not only with God, but with people around us. It's like how many of you have gotten hurt or disappointed by something that happened in church, right? I have or have. Now all of a sudden I become cynical of the local church. Well, you know what? Church, people, and you know... And before long, I have no more connection with my family. I'm like, ah, it's optional to go. I'll go when I feel like it. I don't see the need, really. Why? Because I became cynical. I became cynical. You know who are often the most cynical? Those who've been in the church the longest. Because we've seen it all. We've seen the, 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 you know, the, the, um, the bad of it. We've seen the the human side of church. Some of us have seen the human side of our pastor and now we become cynical. Well, how can this guy really lead us? I've seen his flesh. I've seen him when he sins. Y'all, we, we sin. <laughs> Ain't no halo growing here yet. <laughs> I try to make my hair look nice and shiny, but I mean, don't mistake any of this for being completely holy. And, you know, not taking away from any of, 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 you know, Timothy's standards of eldership and all that. The, the bottom line is we just don't get it right all the time. And so you can look at that and you can go like, nah, this ain't real. You know, this is just fake. Or you can go, well, maybe that is just so real that I'm afraid to even confront the realness of it. I'm afraid to deal with the responsibility that I have as an individual to deal with my sin because I'm expecting it to just, if it's God, it's going to be perfect, right? It's going to, be, it's going to work, right? Well, no. Sometimes we mess it up. And we have to take responsibility of those messes, those messes and, and fix it. And it's hard work. It's tough. It does, it's not fun. But if God made it happen, then, you know, I can just go on my honky way, honky dory way, and, and I don't have to really deal with it unless it wasn't him that caused it. 
then I have to deal with it. Then I have to humble myself. Then I have to ask forgiveness. Then I have to say, what does it cost to rebuild? Then I have to pay that cost for restitution. Then I have to build again from there. There's a whole lot of I, and with that comes responsibility. But cynicism just makes me throw, you know, my hands in the air and go, whatever. This ain't never going to work. If God can make these people work, how the heck is he going to make the world work? And those mindsets just doesn't do us any good. It hurts us. It creates disunity and it kills our intimacy with one another. It kills hope. I'm hoping that you can be better. I'm hoping that you can be a friend. I'm hoping that you can give me love and respect. I'm hoping. We all have those unseen social contracts going on, trying to, you know, see where I'm at with one another. How can I benefit you? How can you benefit me? How can I love you? How can you love me? We all need love. We all need to give love. Cynicism just, just stops all that in its tracks. And now you're just existing, numb, can't feel a thing. We need to get cynicism out of our heads. But we think it's preserving. Instead, it's actually, um, we're actually hurting ourselves. It's trusting in our own, you know, ability to, to, to protect ourselves instead of, like the Bible says, trusting that, entrusting that to Him. I want to skip ahead a little bit. Let's do a quick exercise, okay? Y'all ready? How do you feel when I say these verses? John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Is there a but coming? In that day, this is John 16, 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me, Jesus talks uh, about himself. He says, truly, I'll say, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. But I've tried that and it didn't work. What about this one? Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it'll be yours. Matthew 21. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. How does that make you feel? Do you want to go like, I want to believe it, but it's like I've... I've just, I don't know, man. It's like, does it work that way, really? Can I really just put my faith in that? If you look at all of these verses, you'll see, it says, if you abide in me, conditional clause. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, it's also a conditional clause. Because Jesus was never going to ask for certain things and if you ask in his name you better not be misrepresenting right conditional clause therefore i tell you whatever you ask him for believe you've received it conditional clause <laughs> well it didn't work for me no 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 no. did you fulfill that condition but the word said yes the word did say did you believe with all your heart? Did you not fail? Did you stop, start doubting? Whatever you ask in prayer, you will see if you have faith. Conditional clause. So what does this mean? Simply one thing. Y'all, we have a part to play. You have a part to play. You determine so many of this. Your responsibility in this is huge. Back to Genesis 1.27. He said, let us make man in our image. And then he said, what did he say? Y'all remember that part? He said, let, who rule? Let them rule. Who has been, instru- no, who has been given the authority to rule on earth? Who is it? We. It's us. He literally shared responsibility of this place with you and I it's crazy if I was him I'd never done it (laughs) but God 
wanted to have that kind of relationship with us that he even shared the most precious thing with us. And so now here we are on earth and uh, where are we? It's sometimes good to take stock of where we are. But not just so that we can start playing the blame game with people around us or with God, but so that we can understand where do we take responsibility for what happens next? Because it's solely in our court. It is. And God will give us the ability, the wisdom, and the energy to be able to do it, to be able to uh, rule this place. But he's not coming to just fix things, y'all. Until the one day when he completes everything, it's us. We're responsible. And guess where my responsibility starts? With me. Getting myself to align with his word. Getting myself to align with his purposes and his plan. And then making disciples. Helping other people align themselves with his word and with his purposes and with his plans. Man, I have a whole section here about the next generation that I just can't get into today. I want to invite me back, okay? I want to say something about the, the next generation that is so critical for us to, to just realize because our cynicism is often pointed to this next generation in the worst kind of way. Y'all, and if I can just, if I can just say that, you're not going to change this generation through cynicism. People don't respond well to cynicism. They respond to hope. If you want to reach and change the next generation, create hope. And I'll leave it there. I believe God is calling on us today to number one, repent of cynicism. Hear what James 4 verse 8 says. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, I'm included, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Is God good or isn't he? You have to figure that out for yourself. Because based on that, everything else rises and falls. God is good. Don't be double-minded about that. It talks about purifying, and it's really a purifying that needs to happen of our minds. And repentance is that. It's a change of thinking. Asking for forgiveness is asking for forgiveness, but repentance is changing the way of our conviction, our opinion, our thought pattern. This is my, this is my view of it. God wants us to change our view away from cynicalness, cynicism, to hopefulness. It's so hard. When you see the government doing another stupid thing, you go like, oh, there, watch it. Those are the places where we need to watch and pray and release God's word out of our mouth, not allow a cynical word to come past our mouths again. Here's what it says in Revelations 2 when um, God is writing to the church. He's writing to the Christian church of the time. He says to them, I have something against you. You have abandoned your passionate love that you had for me at the beginning. When we first got born again or realized that our sins were forgiven, man, just the outpouring of our love. It's like, Lord, we're so thankful. What do you want us to do, God? We're so willing and we got going with things, got passionate about things. And then as time goes on, we start experiencing things. All things don't work out according to what we thought God was going to make it work out. Why? Because he's in control of everything, right? Cynicism starts setting in and now all of a sudden I'm just dispassionate. I don't feel loved by God anymore. And now I'm just distant and I'm just disconnected. And now my fruit is disappearing and so often that is just the life cycle we see of people now he says re-engage that passionate love that you had for me in the beginning because I'm good I am good and I'm with you in the hardship I will never leave you nor forsake you but don't blame me for it or you won't be able to trust me to bring you through 
And then he says in verse, uh, verse 5, repent and do the works of love you did at first. Re-engage with the perspective of the goodness of God. Um, and then the last thing that I believe God is wanting us to do today is just embrace hope again. Psalm 42 verse 11 says this, Why my soul are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God and I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I believe hope is the opposite of cynicism. Hope is the opposite of cynicism. Are y'all hopeful for the United States? Come on now. We have a good God that has all the hope <laughs> that we need to have stored up, like that first verse said, if we will just seek Him and come to Him. He will lavish that on us. Christians ought to be the most hopeful people. You know who brings change? The people who create hope. In your company, in your workplace, you know what's needed? Hope. Hope. People are hopeless today. Let me tell you, God's not done. Man, in many ways, He's just started. Look at what just happened with the Supreme Court right just now. Come on, y'all. So 50 years ago, it was a pretty bleak picture. But there were those who had hope, and they led the way, and here we are. Man, huge. So because we have hope, we can believe, and we can trust, and we can take those actions. And, and I mean, think about this. Just the devastating blow of, of a ruling like that. Who would have thought that in just 50 years they could overturn that? Right? I mean, it was, it was law. Think about it. Changing a law in a country, that's one of the most difficult things, especially flipping it to the exact opposite. That's huge. That's huge. And yet there were those who faithfully went to another challenge, did another rally, went to another court case, did another you know, thing trying to uh, uh, convince the world that this is evil? How did they act in that faith? They had that foundation that God is good and that he can overturn this thing. If we will believe like this, if we will have hope, reject cynical views of things, of the next generation, of our lives, etc., and establish ourselves in hope, we will have faith to act every day what's needed to lead up to the breakthrough that will come. And that's the lifestyle I wish for us to be able to lead. Every day live with obedience to God's word and act in faith what we need to do today to be a blessing to our environment. Like he said to the Israelites, if you are good for Babylon, Babylon will be good for you. And as time went on, he helped them to rebuild. And then he delivered them again. And that is how we will change this nation, how we will change this state. You'll have hope for Louisiana. I have hope for the South that we are here. Sometimes we go like, oh, crime, oh, drugs, oh, oh, oh. Cynicism, watch out. It'll paralyze you. Reject cynicism. Hope again. And start acting by faith, little bit by little bit, what you're supposed to do. Here's what Isaiah 40, and I'll close with this. It says this. It says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Come on. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. We need endurance, y'all, to run a long race that's ahead of all of us. How do we do that? Don't become cynical. Accept the hope of God. Act in faith and just renew your hope again and again. We root out cynicism in our hearts and minds. We establish hopes. Man, we can change anything. We can change anything. Now let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to we do just that right now. Lord, show us. Show us the things we say or the things we feel and, and how cynicism is just present in our lives. 
Lord, help us reconstruct or design new sentences for things that we say that we won't even through our words reveal any form of cynicism. That when we think of of people that are in a negative circumstance or people doing negative things, Father, that we will refuse to be cynical. If we think of our country and the government and the laws, that we will refuse to be cynical. And instead of just succumbing to a paralyzing, hopeless view, Father, help us to speak hope even though it seems intimidating. Even though it might take years for things to change, Father, help us to say from the get-go that it will change. Restore our hope, Lord in our future. Restore our hope in what you have called and purposed for the youth of this generation to become and to do. Restore our hope, Lord God, in what you have planned for this country in this day and age. And let us be contenders for that and have a joyful expectation for the good that you are about to do through us, through our acts of faith and obedience. Y'all want to pause the prayer there for a second. I want to tell you something. There's a saying that says, for evil to prevail, good men simply has to do nothing. Let me tell you this. If hope is restored in our hearts and minds, we won't do nothing. We'll be able to act in faith and start constructing what we want to see in the future little bit by little bit. Let's continue to pray. So Father, show us even the little moments of cynicism. Convict us, Holy Spirit. We commit to rooting out cynicism out of our hearts and minds. We commit to seeking you with all of our hearts so that we might find that generous storehouse of hope, peace, and joy that you have for those who walk and operate in your kingdom. We choose to hope in you because you are good. You are good, Lord. And we trust you. We look to you. And we don't hope for the best and expect the worst, Lord. We hope for the best and we expect you and your kingdom ways to manifest in our reality. We expect your kingdom breakthroughs. We expect answers to prayer, God. We expect things to get fixed, Father, through the actions of the faithful. We put our hope in you and we expect from you great things, God. We have great expectation because we have a hopeful future in you. We thank you for that today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.